We can all stand for the reading of God's word. Today's word comes from Luke chapter 15. Very familiar story for us. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 22. Please read along with me as I read the good and holy word of the Lord today. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to out one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But there, when he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your, fa- your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he had received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that, my, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the word. Lord, made this parable. Speak volumes. May this parable speak truth. May your word proclaim Christ. Thank you, Lord and Jesus, and we pray. Amen. A very familiar passage I'm sure that many of us have heard before, have read before, have heard sermons about. And today, what I want to do, especially with this parable, is if you've been noticing for the past few weeks, Pastor John and I have been wanting to share the gospel in different elements and different perspectives and different ways so that we really know what the gospel is. And this is what we want to do. And this parable really shares the gospel in such a powerful way, in such a way, especially as it's a story and there's an illustration, it's really a powerful way to describe to us what the Christian faith is all about and what makes Christianity so distinctive when there's so many other religions in this world, what makes Christianity so different? And I think this parable, one of the things that this parable does is it, it shows the absolutely unique distinction of the Christian message of salvation, which is radically different from any other world religions. And so I want to go through the story a little bit more in detail to kind of flesh out some of the important parts that are really being conveyed here. And then we'll talk about three things that we can probably really take away from this parable. 
Uh, this parable is known, if you look at the title of any of the Bible tests you, you guys have, either of ESV or NIV, it's the parable of the prodigal son. But more, more appropriate title would be the parable of the prodigal sons. It's not just one son who is lost, but there are both sons who are lost. And you can, you'll follow along with me. The first part is about the younger son. And this is the one where uh, we, see, we see in this passage in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And what he's essentially asking for and what he's basically requesting is basically, Dad, I want you dead. And Because the only way to get an inheritance is when your father passes away. And so what he's basically saying to his dad is, I no longer want to be in relationship with you. You are dead to me. And so because you are dead to me, I want my share of my inheritance. So please give it to me now. How many of you, if you were to say that to your dad, would see the light of day, right? It, it's, it's a very offensive thing, what he did there. And uh, the father, when, uh, when he was asking for the inheritance, and this is a very important note, the father had two sons, and it wasn't that he was splitting his inheritance 50-50, but the way that it worked, if you're the first son, if anyone first sons here, you guys have the advantage. You get two-thirds of the inheritance. And the second son gets one-third. So for, young, young, for our second children, boo-hoo. But that's exactly what he was getting. He was entitled to at least one-third of the inheritance. And we're going to talk about that a bit later. Please remember that really fine detail. But anyway, what he's saying is, Dad, I really don't care about you. I really could care less about you. You are dead to me, and I want what is mine. You know, when the audience understood what he was requesting, essentially, what he was basically saying is, I want out of this family. I don't want any more relationship with you. And this father was, as people were hearing this story, they were very shocked. To disrespect a father like this, first, it's, you could really be committed to death, especially during this time, if you disrespect your parents and definitely needed correcting. But what's really fascinating about this story is that the father complies. He complies. And, you know, if you, you, you kind of have to imagine this was a very uh, long process. It wasn't as if there was some straight-up just money cash. That's not how they did things back then. In order for him to really give him his inheritance, he needed to sell his property, sell his animals, sell his land, sell his, you know, whatever he had. And, and so that was a long process in order to give him what is his. And so there this father was doing that long process. And so people might have asked, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And he probably would have responded to the people, my son wants me dead. My son wants his inheritance. And so I'm doing it. And they would look at this father as foolish. Why are you doing that? Your son is rebellious. You need to stand up for yourself. But the father continues selling his property to give his younger son what he is asking and essentially demanding for. And so the crowd, they were understanding these implications and they were understanding and they're just questioning, why would the father do this? What was it? Why would he do such a thing? And what's really surprising and what's really, uh, uh, really just one of the things that you can really take away, why does the father comply to his son's request? And one of the things that we can really tell, especially in terms of the whole picture of the story, is that the father absolutely loved his son, even when his son rebelled with, against him. And it wasn't that after his younger son left, he then began to be like, oh, I miss him, I miss him, I miss him, I love him now. But rather, he was always good to him. He was always 
a loving father to him. And he loved him from the very, very beginning. Even at the point of rebellion and rejection, this father absolutely loved his son. That's why he complied. That's why he gave his son what he was asking for. Well, the story continues, and the son spends everything and is basically homeless. He goes and you know, he's eating with the pigs now. And that's, uh, especially if you're a Jewish person, you don't eat right? You don't, you don't eat that stuff because it's uh, nasty. So you don't eat pigs. And the fact that he was eating pigs means he was basically at the bottom. He was just lost and he was uh, completely uh, just lost everything that he uh, was entitled to him. And realizing how desperate he was and, oh, I, I just made a huge mistake. And so he comes up with a plan that he would go back to his father. And the plan is because he actually, he got basically divorced himself from the family, an only way to get back is that he was thinking, okay, I can't go back as a son because um, I have given up that right. So the only way I can get back, the only way I can try to get back into the family is maybe if I become a hired servant. Surely this hired servants eat better food than I do. And so he said, and so he had this like elaborate plan. He was, he was trying to basically had this rehearsal, most likely trying to you know, talk to his father to win him back into his family. And if you read verse 20, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, it's very beautiful, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, the reason why we can see the father's love, one of the things is because he ran. He ran. Uh, I don't know about you, when was the last time you saw your dad run? Like straight up, like, track level running like Usain Bolt kind of running when was the last time you saw your father do that most likely probably not in a very long time or rarely do you see your dad run because you know to run it's humiliating right if you especially if you run you the way that you look you know everything's jiggling and like your face is like weird and you're running it's a very humiliating thing to run full speed especially for a man of full posture a man of respect Back then, too, the Jewish clothing was that of a dress. It was type of a dress that guys would wear. And so you have to imagine, he's running with a dress on. So our girls know this. How do you run with a dress on? I, I don't know. I, I don't wear a dress. But how do you run with a dress on? Right? You've got to like, tuck it in and, and basically run. That's what the dead father was doing. He was running full speed to his son. He was so glad he was back. He loved him. He didn't care. And you, you could, just this is my own take. You know, maybe some people were watching. The neighbors were watching. And this father, as he was foolishly running to his son, they would have said, this father is an idiot. This father, how can he love such a son that was so rebellious to him? But the father did not care. He did not care, but he ran all the way to him. And you could, you could see that the son was trying to, you know, he was the practice speech that he was going to do. Father, bring me back. I want to be a hired servant. But you could see he doesn't care. He said, no, no. He doesn't even listen to him. He says, give him everything. Give him robes, rings, shoes. Give him clothes. Because a hired servant does not wear these things. What the father was essentially saying is, the only way for you to come back to me is if you're a son again. Not a hired servant. You are a son to me. And you always were. I might not, I might not have been for you, but you were always my son. Even though you were lost, I still love you. And he brought him back. Came back into the family as a son. Beautiful. Second half now, uh, I, I think the first half is something that we all like love. It's like a really touching, loving story. Second half, 
What happens, what happens in the second half? Well, the older son, now he hears of it, the older brother. He hears of this, and one of the things that we're surprised with, with the story, as Jesus is telling the story, is that the son, the older son, is furious. He's livid. He's angry. He's absolutely upset. He's absolutely set by how his father is treating his younger son, his younger brother. How can you do that? This son who basically cursed at you, who rebelled against you, who took all your, your, your money, you took all your inheritance, he essentially said he doesn't want to be in a relationship with you, and now you give him a party? You give him all this food? I don't even get any of that. And I've been so good to you. I've been so faithful to you. I've worked day and night. I gave up so many things so that you would be pleased. How can this be? This is utterly unfair. How many of you feel that? I do. I do. This is so unfair. But we see, again, um, you know, eating meat during this time was exceptionally rare. You only ate meat at a very special time, right? When Moksanim comes over your house, all of a sudden there's karbi, right? Oh, wh- wh- why wouldn't we get karbi? <laughs> right? Because it's a special occasion. And so when this happened, this was a very special occasion, and the whole village would come and have, would have this very lavish and luxurious meal because it was something to celebrate. And this is why the older son was very upset, and he was very angry, not just at his younger son, but he was particularly angry at his dad, his father. And if you read, notice who comes out first to meet the older son. Who comes out to meet him? The father does. The father comes out and he entreats him in verse 28. The father came out to comfort his older son. But look at how his older son responds to him. Observe the way the older son addresses him. Look. Look. You can just tell the anger that he's just having right now. He doesn't address him as a father. But again, he insults him. He says, look. And he doesn't even call his brother his brother. What is he, how does he describe him, his, his younger brother? He says, your son, this son of yours. Because he's nothing to me. He's nothing. And look at how the father responds. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Now, even though the father still has every right, at this very moment, the older son is now disrespecting and dishonoring the father. And now this father has every right to cut him off. And yet, the father continues to be faithful, to be loving, and he invites him and says, come. And that's how it ends. And the story ends uh, very open-ended, actually, and there's a reason to that, and we'll talk about that. Well, that's the parable. And there are three things that we can take away from this parable that really define the Christian faith. And I hope it changes our perspective and understanding of what the Christian faith is. One of the things that we see that the Bible described God to be, you know, there's a lot of imageries of what God is. God is king. God is Lord. Right? God is uh, the highest of highs. But there's one particular characteristic of, de- of God that is so unique across all other religions. is that God is Father. God is a father. And he's not just the, a father, he is the father. He is the father who loves his creation. And that is the one thing that we can really take away, that God loves his creation. God loves, truly loves us. He truly loves his people. He truly loves those who are called to be his. 
He could have been anything else, this God. He could have been anything else, but the one thing, one of the things that God is calling himself to be is that of a father. And this father that Jesus depicts for us is the very father of this Bible. The very father of this parable is the very father of the Bible, a God who absolutely loves his children, even at the point of rebellion and rejection. I don't know what about you, but some of us might have this imagery that our God is an angry God, you know, something that we hear all the time or something that you might un, uh, just think of yourself. Think about the Old Testament God, right? Oh, the Old Testament God is about anger and lightning and just killing mass amount of people. And the New Testament God is loving and, and really just awesome. <laughs> but one of the things that we can learn is that God is Father. He is a God who loves. He's a God who absolutely loves because God is love. And that's the one thing that we can really take away in our understanding of who God is. God is foremost. He's a father who loves. The second thing that we see in this story, in this parable, is sin. And we see sin in very different ways. We see sin in very two different ways. And then the first way, it's the most traditional way, something that all of us can recognize, something that we're all trained in, if anything. We all know the first kind of sin. It's the bad sin, right? It's the one where, you know, this younger son was basically hanging out with prostitutes and he was doing things that are considered bad. Most likely, I could assume he was drinking and, and uh, like having sex. This, these are bad. These are the bad things that people do. He was stealing. I don't know. We could just go on a list of things because we all know what these, these very obvious sins that are bad and that are bad. And in our time, it's especially, you know, yeah. And we get to see sin in a different way, however, a, a different layer of sin. And that's with the older son. And follow along with me. There are two sons here. One is very not morally right. He's just immoral. He's living a bad life. He doesn't really have standards. He just does whatever he wants, his heart, whatever his heart desires, and he, and he, he just does what he wants. The second son is one who would be described as very good. He obeys. He obeys all the laws. He obeys all the rules, all the rules that dad has and mom has. He follows all of them to the T and to the I and to the dot. That's how good he is. He's just a good, moral, a righteous man, does everything right. Both of them, however, one of the things that you'll see, both of them, what makes them similar although they might seem vastly different. One is immoral, one is moral. One is bad, one is good. What makes them similar is that ultimately they both didn't want the father. They didn't want him. They wanted his things, but they didn't want his father. They didn't want their father. Their father was a means to an end. That's what made them similar. And this is what sin is. Each son used the father to get what they really wanted, to get what they really loved. That's what these sons did. They didn't love the father. They used the father to get what they really loved. And it's not just the younger son who was lost, but also the older son was lost. The younger son was lost in his badness, in his immoral life. And the older son also was lost in his goodness. He was using his goodness essentially to, util to take advantage of his dad. How can that be? See, when we see the beginning of this passage, one of the things that you notice in the beginning of chapter 15, uh, notice who was in the audience as Jesus is sharing this parable. You see that it's the tax collectors and sinners, and this is the younger son. But then there's also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Sinners are younger brothers. They've run off. They've lived any way they want. Pharisees and religious teachers, moral people, they're religious people. They're the elder brother. And that's who Jesus is speaking to as well. 
He's not just sharing this parable in order to save the younger sons and just the older sons, you guys are doing a great job. No, but rather when Jesus is sharing this parable, both people are absolutely lost. The older son was proud. He was self-righteous. And this is what ultimately blocked him from the father's love. Here's, Here's what I'm trying to say. There are two ways to reject God. Two ways to reject God, just like what we see with the two sons. Both sons try to get control of the father's stuff. Not by loving the father, but by trying to use the father to get what they really ultimately wanted. One son wanted to gain control of the father's stuff by living a bad life. But the other son tried to control the father's stuff by living a very, 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 very good moral life. There are two ways to be your own savior and Lord. There are two ways to try to control God. There are two ways to stay in control. One is by going off and living any way that you want, like the younger son. And the other is being very moral, very righteous, very religious, reading your Bible, obeying the ten, trying to obey your te- the Ten Commandments, praying all the time like the older son. See, the problem with the older son, and I think this parable is really mostly about the older son than it is about the younger son, is that the older son looks as if he is working for his father. Or it looks as if he loves his father, this older son. It looks it. I mean, the younger son, you can immediately tell, oh, he's rebellious, he's, you know, he's, he's, he, you know, he's just doing his thing, and he's you know, doing whatever. But it's, this is where it gets really hard, because when you look at the older son and the way that he's living his life, he looks like he's obedient and compliant, and he's doing everything the father asks. But in his heart, in his heart of hearts, he's bitter with his father. What he's essentially saying in his heart is, Dad, I'm actually just doing this to get your things. I'm not, I, don't, I could care less about you. You're just a stepping stone to what I ultimately really want. You may be, uh, we may be very easy to identify the younger sons, like, I don't know, like people that we see, uh, they're younger sons. But older sons, they're a lot harder to identify because it's a matter of the heart. This is how older sons think. If I love people, and if I'm good, and if I pray, and I read my Bible, then I'll be blessed. Then God has to bless me. Jesus might be your rewarder. He might be your example. He might be a lot of things, but Jesus is not your Savior. You're your own Savior. You're avoiding Jesus as Savior by avoiding sin. You're trying to control God through what you're doing. All your morality, all your obedience is a way of getting to God to give whatever you really want Ultimately, God is not your end. It's something else. It's not ultimately God you want. It's something else, something that he offers. Religious people obey God to get things. But gospel-centered people obey God to get God, to resemble him, to love him, to know him, to delight in him. If you know, the way that we can tell who an older son is is the older sons, they divide the world into good people and bad people. That's what the older sons do. The people who deserve God's love and the people who don't deserve God's love. That's what older sons do. And if you are thinking, am I an older son? All of us in our hearts have an older son residing in us. I do too. I do too. There's something inside of me that says all that I'm doing, Lord, I've done all of this for you. I've done ministry for you. I've lived my life for you. I'm living my life for you. And there's a side of me that says, God, you owe me. Oh me. And especially comes out when things aren't working out. Especially comes out when my life is not going the way that I planned. Especially happens when what I thought was going to happen 
actually falls apart. And it starts to come out then. God, why me? There was a season where I had a health scare. And one of my immediate thoughts in my head, I was absolutely angry with God. He said, God, I don't deserve this. And that scared my heart because I, I was, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? And one of the things that I realized was that ultimately, am I really having a relationship with you because I want something else? Or are you the greatest thing that has ever happened to me? The younger son is lost, yes, with his addictions and passions, but the older son, the older brother, is also lost as well. You see it in how judgmental he is, how angry he is. He's always angry. Why? Because he's lived such a good life that God the Father owes him things his way. And of course, your life never, except for a few years at a time, never goes the way you want. But if you're living a good life, especially you think that I deserve a good life. You're always going to have anger. You're always going to have, you're always going to look down on others, especially those who are not, who are not living up to your standards. And that's why we look down on people. And that's why we criticize because it's the older son that's inside here. How can we be changed then? Is, it, is that the parable? Is that the point just to expose our hearts and show us how miserable and how terrible we are? No. How can we be changed? And this is the third part, the gospel whether we have younger son tendencies, whether you are rebelling and just doing the quote-unquote immoral bad things, or whether you're the older son who's trying to live a moral life in order to get things from God, the default mode of every human heart is the desire to be your own Savior and Lord. The default mode of every human heart is to try to be in control of all things. The default, mo the default mode in every heart is to be your own God. That is truth, and that is what the Bible shares that we try to replace God with ourselves. And that is sin. That is what sin is. How can we be saved from this? How? What can save us? Three things. First, know that there's a Father who loves you. Even in your rebellion, even in your rejection, just like this parable shares, He loves you. He's waiting. He's waiting. You know, this Father... How, did, how, can he, how did he know that his son was far away? Because he was waiting for his son. Day by day, he was waiting for his younger son to return. And that's one of the truths that I want to share with all of you. The Father, our God, the Father, is waiting for you. He's waiting and he's waiting because he loves you. He's, he wants you home. That's one of the news that we can hear. First is that the Father, God the Father, loves you. And he wants you to bring, come back. And there's no shame. There's no guilt. But rather, there is his love that he wants to share with you. That you won't come back as a servant. You won't come back as a slave. No, you'll come back as a child of God. Two, repentance. Repenting. And repenting is not just being about, it's not just being the younger son, just trying to think of all the old bad things that we do as much as we should. But it's also being about praying and repenting about being the older son. It's not just for repenting for the sins that are wrong. Yes, cheating and stealing and lying. Yes, we need to pray for those things as much as we need to. But we also need to repent for our reasons for doing things, and this might sound really weird, for doing things right. You have to look at your heart. Why am I doing these good things? What is the purpose? Why, why is my heart 
reacting the way that it is. I do these good things because I'm trying to get something else. I'm doing these good things because I believe that there's a reward later on. We need to repent of that. We need to repent of the ways that we're trying to take advantage of God, that God is a means to an end. The reason why I come out to church every Sunday is because then my life will be better. There's this idea that if I work, if I come to church on Sunday, then my SAT scores will be better. Deep down inside, I'm sure if all of us were to share, we all have that inside of us. But here again, the Father loves us and he wants us to repent and to come home. If you think you're not the older son, beware, because that's a telltale sign that you most likely are. It's hidden. It's like bad breath. You can't smell it, but everyone else smells it. If you're not a younger son or an older son, well, that must mean that you're Jesus. And so this is where we are called to look at our hearts, to repent, to recognize the tendencies and where we're trying to take the place of God. And where am I trying to replace God? At what points am I using God as a means to get to something else? And that's something for us to deeply think about. Now, the answer now isn't, okay, now I don't have to really follow the Ten Commandments. I don't really care about the law. I don't have to do all these good things. No, that's not the point. You have to listen to this. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. That you're having a relationship with a father. Imagine you have a spouse. Imagine you married a beautiful wife and a beautiful, or a beautiful husband. And imagine two, three years later as you're sitting down, you're a great breakfast, and you're just looking at each other, and your spouse confesses to you, you know, hey, I actually, uh, I, I, I need to just share this with you. I didn't marry you for you. I married you because you have an inheritance that your parents are going to give you, and I'm just waiting till you die for, you to get, for me to get that. And then you're like, looking at this soup, you're like, is it poisoned? <laughs> That's the same thing that we do with God. God, the, really, the only reason why I come out to church, the only reason why I have this relationship with you is because I'm trying to get something else. See how hurtful that is? How can we be saved from that, though? I mean, I, okay, I, I understand that, but what can change this heart of mine? Jesus. And this is the third Remember when I talked about the two-thirds and the one-third? The older son uh, was entitled to two-thirds and the younger son was entitled to one-third. Well, the re- one of the reasons why the older son didn't want his younger son back, the younger brother back, was because where would the next one-third come from then? The father gave it all up. And so in order, if, if the younger son were to come back, and the reason, one of the reasons why he was so upset was because now he needed the older son his two-thirds was going to be divided up. That was mine. Now it's being divided up because of his younger brother, his, the younger son. And that's why he didn't want to go. If there's somebody who would have to go and find this younger brother, to reason with him, to tell him, come back home. Father loves you. Father misses you. I miss you. But he doesn't. Because he would rather have that inheritance more than his brother. We have Jesus, the Son of God, who had the full inheritance of heaven and on earth. He was the Son of God who had eternity. And he came down from heaven to earth. That he wasn't just willing to give up a portion of his inheritance, but Jesus gave up all of his, all of his inheritance so that you and I can have it. This is the beautiful parable of the prodigal son that the true brother was Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came down and he was willing to give up everything to reason, to, to talk to, 
the younger sons who rebelled against the father and tell us to come home. Father's waiting. Father loves you. Wants you back. That is what the gospel is. And when you get to hear that, and when you get to see that Jesus truly is the Lord and Savior, that he has come to tell us that message, that there's a Father who loves us, who wants us to come back, your heart will do, the Spirit will do wonders in your heart, and you'll begin to be healed and changed, and you will repent, not because you're trying to get things from God, but rather because you're trying to get God. That is what the gospel is. And I hope and I pray that leaving this room, that you would not feel more guilty, more ashamed of yourself, that you will feel more loved than ever before. Lord, we pray that you would bless each and every one of us here. Lord, I pray that inside all of our hearts is a heart that wants to be God, is a heart that wants to dethrone and usurp God, that we would be our own God and Savior that we would take control of our own lives on our own terms. Lord, there's a Father who absolutely loves us. There's a Father who, in his compassion and mercy, gives us time, who gives us Christ to come and repent and to return back home. And so, Lord, may this message, Lord, may this passage, may Christ turn our hearts back to you Lord, we need you. God, we need you. Help us, Lord. God, I pray that if there's anybody who has not received the gospel, Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would do wonders. And we pray, Lord, that you would expose our hearts more of the Father's love and that, God, that we would be your children again and that we have an inheritance, not a partial inheritance, but a full inheritance because Jesus Christ gave up his that we would have his. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.